tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... What's up, guys? Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode number 48. My name is James Scully. Tonight on Breaking Walls, we are presenting an evening with Bittersweet at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. What is Bittersweet? That's a very good question. Well, two weeks ago, I got the opportunity to observe an extraordinary sensory experience. Bittersweet is a classical music quartet. It's also a choreographic troupe. It's also a gourmet food tasting. And most importantly, it's a place for positive energy. You see, in Bittersweet, participants are blindfolded and then led by trusted choreographers through a four senses experience to Claude Debussy's string quartet in G minor. The participants taste, they smell, they hear, and most importantly, they feel a richly layered 40 minute out of body experience. And now tonight on Breaking Walls, we'll give you a taste of Bittersweet through an on-the-scene chat with founder and creative director Stephanie Singer and also a bittersweet participant, Stephanie Guzman. Before I go on, if you've been enjoying recent episodes of Breaking Walls, you can subscribe to our podcast by going to iTunes and searching for The Wall Breakers. You can also follow us on SoundCloud by going to soundcloud.com slash thewallbreakers. We'd love if you did both of those things. And if you rate and review us on iTunes, it'll help with the iTunes algorithm. And then more people will discover Breaking Walls, which is something that if you've been listening to Breaking Walls, I would absolutely ask you to do because tell a friend, tell two friends, word of mouth spreads these kinds of conversations around. And if you notice, there's no commercials on Breaking Walls. There's nothing plugging any products. I'm open to that. But for now, these conversations are being spread only for the most part by word of mouth or social media marketing. You can also find five years worth of global artist profiles, vintage photos, interviews, editorials, and a full archive of Breaking Walls episodes at thewallbreakers.com. And as we head towards Christmas, as we head towards the new year, as we experience Hanukkah, it's important to remember that the reason why these holidays are at this time of year is because when the warmth that we experience in the summer and the spring starts to dissipate in the autumn and into the winter, we bring that warmth that we experience outside the home during those months into the home. And we surround ourselves with family, with good food, with friends, with love, with reasons to remember why we're alive and reasons to know that new beginnings are fast approaching. The winter solstice, while it is the shortest day of the year, it also means that starting from this day forward, we are gaining time during the day. Our days are longer. Our opportunities to do more are growing with each passing moment. So I'm not going to take up any more time because coming up after this brief pause, get ready to experience an evening with Bittersweet at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. I am sitting in the far corner of a rotunda inside the Brooklyn Academy of Music's Fisher Hillman Studio near One Hanson Place. That chatter that you hear around me, it's that of people who are about to get much more intimately acquainted. You see, when the string quartet is ready, 
participants will be blindfolded and led through an experience that, as an observer, was incredible to see. The room is nervous. Half of the people are about to be blindfolded and touched by a near stranger. They're only now, minutes before, chatting with this person for the first time, which means there's a tremendous amount of trust to be involved. The choreographers are open, friendly, charming even. I managed to keep what I knew of the experience from my friend Stephanie Guzman so that she would meet it with complete surprise. She's over on the other side and I can't even see her, which turned out to be a great thing because she was the one person experiencing the concert in the entire room that I could not see experiencing the concert. It made for even better synergy for myself as an observer along the outskirts of such a wonderful thing. As people file in, the rotunda, a semicircular classroom that seats about 120, fills to its floor capacity. The participants, I've noticed, they're beginning to look around. They know that as wonderful as this chat is between them and the choreographer, in just a moment's time, everything is going to change. And then just like that, the crowd quiets to a low murmur as the string quartet appears. That moment of truth look is on the faces of all who are about to be participants. We're ready to begin. This is Stephanie Guzman. Hi. She was a guest on episode 32 in which she spoke about ways to distress in the new year. As the good friend that I am, I was able to keep what bittersweet was away from Stephanie until we got there. Did she know what she was getting herself into? No, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Even when I was in the lobby, I just saw a huge library with some pretty interesting books. I might have gotten that first reaction. The blindfold was on my face. It was just hard to expect what was going to happen next. It's a new moment, a new experience. Taking ourselves out of our comfort zone is such an important thing. We've got to be willing to put ourselves out there if we want to achieve any kind of happiness. Let's be honest though, being blindfolded and touched by a near stranger is got to be one of the most potentially awkward things a person can experience. That is, if we worry about how we look, or how bad things could be, or anything that takes us out of the moment as we're experiencing it. I had the opportunity to sit down with founder and creative director of Bittersweet, Stephanie Singer. I wanted to talk to her about her thought process behind what would inspire Bittersweet. What could make her want to bring this out of people? connect with people in this kind of way. Instead of it being taking somebody out of their comfort zone, I would say it is more about putting somebody in a situation where they have to connect with somebody in that moment when they know that it's like, especially with touch, touch is like extremely over-sexualized. Mm -hmm. In uh, most Western cultures, it's like associated with a specific kind of intention, particularly with men. 
Right. I think that's fair to say. And rather than an, it was an intention to push people out of their comfort zone, I think it's an intention to put people in a situation where they they will and they kind of have to connect with the person they're, sure. they're paired with. That, that feels like an important distinction because what that means we're doing is giving somebody the opportunity. Because also, not everybody does relax, right? Not everybody does That was one go. thing I absolutely noticed. Yeah. There, you can tell who's more comfortable with totally. themselves when they're blindfolded and touched. Totally, totally. And actually, funnily enough, like a lot of the people that are, the people in the experience who are the tightest and the most restricted and the kind of, the, the people that are trying to predict what you're trying to move them and how you move them, those are often the people that actually have the better time because it, they're so unused to being touched, so unused to being manipulated and being in a situation where they can't use their voice, they have to use their body. And so, yeah, um, where does my belief come from? I guess you just see it all the time, that as soon as you connect with a person, as soon as you stare at somebody in the eyes and you say, I see you, people just feel more comfortable. Sure, absolutely. To like share, share who they are and why they're doing what they're doing. Right. It's become a real, there's a guy that came to see one of the shows back in London four years ago and we did it and his the first thing he said to me after the experience was that is the first time I've been touched in seven years interesting I was like amazed by that because that's not my experience of life at all but I and I think women have the kind of opposite end where actually like we're constantly touched sometimes touched in ways that we're like we don't, we don't want to be touched right now stop touching me sure um, but like friendship wise we can touch men we can touch our female friends you know it's, it is just much less of a like taboo for women to touch but men don't get rarely I would say get touched in ways that are not is not sexual right. or, or familial or motherly you know like right. um, what exactly is it about touch that takes us so far out of our comfort zones I myself I've had this kind of experience being touched not wanting to be touched wanting to be touched and not being touched Connection between two humans, it's something that puts us so far out there, we have to have such a level of trust. I guess any kind of human touch is an automatic experience in that kind of mutual trust. But why, why do we fear each other? For those of us that don't fear strangers, how have we grown past the norm? For somebody like Stephanie Guzman, who had this experience, It was interesting, and I'm grateful that we actually had a small talk. I think they might have done that to get their audience comfortable with the person they're going to interact with. So I appreciated that. While the touching was going on, even the feeding, it was nice. I actually enjoyed it. The music was beautiful. It was very relaxing for me. I was just completely relaxed, and that was one of the things she had mentioned before be present, just relax, and do whatever comes to you first. Whatever experience you're experiencing, you can express it. And I felt relaxed, therefore. <laughs> so the blindfolded piece was a bit shocking. I guess our first instant reaction was, oh my god, what am I, what's happening right now? What did I get myself? Again, I appreciated the conversation I had prior. It allowed me to be comfortable. And I let go of that fear where, oh, you never know what's going to happen. Um, I also trust that's something a bit hard for me, but um, I'm still 
going to practice trust. And even though it's a perfect stranger. Would you say that your level of trust in yourself or in the world, did it increase or decrease after the bittersweet experience? Wow, trust is such a, such a big word. It allowed me to trust more. Well, first off, I was with a friend. I was with a dear friend. I trust him. So when there's trust in there, I was comfortable in doing the whole experience. And I think that's what made it easier for me to be okay. Because I kept reminding myself that my friend loves me and <laughs> he's going to look out for me. So yes, it's definitely a, a big trust exercise. Even if this person got a ticket to go to this place for free or you know, just randomly, um, I believe it's definitely a trust exercise and that's why they have that conversation. It allows you to ask yourself that like, wow, like when in trust, you get the things do still happen. And it was great. You know, I trust, I got fed, I got a, like, a little massage, I was relaxed listening to music. And um, I think that's a beautiful lesson there, because my experience with nowadays, it's so hard to trust in anything. I do agree with Stephanie Guzman. With all of the distractions in our pocket at every moment of the day, we've got to unlearn habits rooted in fear that we've picked up along the way in the digital and social media world. Also, they stem back long before anything like Facebook or long before even an email existed. Stephanie Singer agrees with me. It's why Bittersweet exists. But what was Stephanie Singer's process in creating Bittersweet? How did she start? It started, it started from a principle of looking deeper into music and understanding that people's response, especially to classical music, was, I'd say, like, associated with kind of sitting down and appreciating the music in a way that I was like, well, this isn't, this isn't what classical music is about. It's not what music is about or experience or art or anything. Like, art is about being there and liking it or hating it or just, you know, just living with the art for that moment. Um, and I suppose I started to think about different ways that I could look, investigate that stumbled upon graphic notation which was my first kind of like foray into like experimental music philosophy like John Cage obsessed kind of like you know new way of thinking about musical notation entirely not through formal notation but through symbols and shapes and colours and abstract ideas that would kind of democratically be able to be given to arguably any person that's a musician or not and mm -hmm. be played and I suppose I started I, I start getting really interested in the concept of graphic notation and then also specifically start thinking about how little we sort of, whether or not the graphic notation could be used as a blueprint for almost a sensory notation. So like, I started getting a bit obsessed with things like synesthesia and cross-modality. So synesthesia is the idiosyncratic experience of one sense triggering another one. It is truly exceptional, it is not universal. So it's somebody very specific may hear the name Terry and taste, physically taste earwax in their mouth, right? It's a crossing of the senses that makes absolutely no neurological sense or has very limited neurological benefit. Then you've got cross-modality, which is modalities being senses. So it's when your senses cross over in kind of ways that are more universal. So cross-modal associations, for instance, would be, if I said to you, what pitch is the taste of a lemon? High, middle, low, what would you say? High. Right, so it has mm -hmm. to be. It's 
no other way, really. Right. Unless you're a synesthete, when you'd be like, it is this pitch exactly. Whereas cross-modal associations kind of give us this, encourage us to kind of see the world through these like broad brush strokes of associations, the ways that that, that just makes sense. And there's also, uh, you know, more concrete examples, like lots of researchers, big researchers like Charles Spence, Ophelia de Roy, like Barry Smith, all these people are pioneering the research into the ways that the senses cross over to impact your direct experience. So um, black plates make things taste more bitter. Pink plates make things taste sweeter. And because it's a mental thing. Yeah, well, it's, it's like your brain understands pink and equates pink with sweet and it makes the food you put in your mouth just taste sweeter and that's a that's a psychological kind of like that is proven and there's multiple examples like crinkly deodorant packaging means that you feel like the deodorant you put under your arms would be more crinkly hence why all deodorant packaging is incredibly smooth because it means that you feel that the deodorant underneath your arm is smoother so there's all these examples and i was like really interested in that and also how cross-modal associations can be used in art and in kind of like the landscape of education and conceptual thought anyway to kind of open up this whole other way of seeing everything that mm. things are associated by their sense by their perception they're unified in this kind of like slightly new way and so i thought i started thinking would there be a way of doing cross-modal scores cross-modal associative scores so instead of a graphic notation you actually build this like cross-modal um, experience for somebody on their body and basically play them to the music sure um, and kind of give them give them the experience that way and that's kind of that was a big question like can we do this for like three years I sort of sat and thought about it and eventually I like found a bunch of people that were up for exploring it a chef perfumer bunch of dancers choreographers and then um, we got in a room and started making things. Mm -hmm. And Thomason, magic man, incredible artist. He is the partner of one of the choreographers, which is how I initially met him. And he just became such a key contributor. As soon as he came on board, his imagination with food, he's like a gourmet head chef at um, Deloitte's Private Dining. He's come second in the chef of the year for the past two years just missing first place like each time he's one of those chefs where you're like oh my god it just proves that food is an art form right and he's just such an exciting person to work with because I can be like Adam what does silence taste like and he'll just come back and be like oh it's very low scented pine jelly infused with hint of smoke edible smoke that he like he's just one of those people where you're like yeah really interesting very very creative very wonderful man so I've worked with him for the past three years and then Sarah McCartney it was almost the same kind of luck just like such a ridiculously inspiring biochemist but also perfumer set up her own studio five years ago for 160 Tuesdays and it's already winning awards and she's just such a pioneer for creating incredibly incredibly beautiful scents and um, she was just a, another lucky person that I met really right at the right time just sort of said some things into the wind and then got back both Adam and Sarah. process behind Bittersweet was both beautiful and also involved. It took lots of time, three years. While Stephanie was creating Bittersweet, there had to be some worry on our part that because she was essentially dealing in the breakdowns of our typical notions 
and our societal fears, this concert could be a flop if people weren't ready to experience such an emotional ride. There is definitely such thing as too soon. Yeah. <laughs> and, but the only way to find out is just to try, right? So in the first ever concert, we divided the audience and we said, if you want to have the full experience, you get a red band. If you want to have the experience just with taste and smell, you get an orange band. If you'd rather just have the music and be blindfolded, you get a yellow band. Okay. Um, and that turned out to be actually a really stupid idea because basically, like, a lot of people think that the experience is quite scary because the other immersive theatre experiences put you in a position where it is quite intense. And I know that level of touch is intense, but the difference is, is that it's like 34 people taking very good care of 34 strangers. Sure. You know? Yeah. Like, and that's the kind of premise. It's not intimidating. You're not really put on the spot because it doesn't matter what you do. You can do anything you like. There's, there's no right or wrong. You don't have to do a good job. You just do what you're doing and we'll go with you. So if you want to stand up and spin around, do that. Um, I suppose one of my biggest kind of concerns was um, I didn't want to join a culture that ended up disempowering people and, and making people feel more passive about the world. I wanted to give people an opportunity to feel more active, more connected. I bet the guy who hadn't been touched in seven years before that performance found whatever he was looking for and didn't know that he was looking for and probably has been touching and being touched by more people since then. Well, I hope so. I hope so. And But yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I just recognise so much that, especially modern culture, is just so, so disempowering. People feel so apathetic about everything. And I really didn't want to be a part of the reason that that would be prolonged. I wanted to be the opposite. That's the true social network. Right. It is. I asked Stephanie Guzman about what it is about being blindfolded that gives people reservations about bittersweet. Is it our base level need to control all unknowns? Does being blindfolded force us to confront the fact that in life we actually don't have all the answers all the time? Yeah, the whole part about being blindfolded is a bit taboo because growing up as kids, you know, we were, we were afraid of the dark. Um, we didn't know what was behind the door closet or what was in the corner before I'm going to bed or what's really underneath my bed. We hear a lot of scary stories growing up and that part, it just sticks. But then as adults, we experience life and we know shit happens. And once we have absolute no control on how to solve this the situation and the diffuse it, we tend to panic. You know, for example, with relationships, they ask you, oh, why are you in a relationship? Or just 21 questions. Because they want to know what's coming up next. They want to see if they can control the issue. And we do that because it's scary. And I think that's where um, go to this concert. And, um, it gives a nice lesson when it comes to just letting go and trust. And when you do, you get good things. It's not all bad. Not all bad, far from it, I'd actually say. I'm biased though, so maybe it's a Brooklyn thing? I don't know. Maybe a big part of why Bittersweet's first foray out of the UK and into New York City was so successful is the fact that the first series of concerts in the United States of America that Bittersweet has put on took place at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. Sort of trying to figure out how we would do a show here, what our first show would be. For the first year, I was just trying to figure out how I would end up staying in New York. 
Um, so that was my major thing. But the second year, I was thinking, well, I could do it in this place, I could do it in this place. But of course, BAM is just one of those places where it's like, if you can do it at BAM, just wait a year and do it at BAM. You know, it's like, right. it's the right place for a yeah. piece like this. Especially for a debut in the city, it, it aligns so closely with what I'd like us to be about. It was for that reason, really. I just sort of did an investigation and found the right person to talk to. And um, I take it then indirectly, if somebody is at a point in their life where they want to do something avant-garde, mm -hmm. whatever that might be, it might not even be in the arts, it just might be something that's avant-garde for them, mm -hmm. don't be afraid to look the right people up, right? Oh. Yeah, it's better, it's, it, well, for my, for my thinking, it's way better that you find the right person than spend 10 years talking to 500 wrong people. If you set your sights, you put your blinkers on, and you just tunnel in to the right thing, that for me is like immediately more effective than wasting all your energy trying to target 500 people that aren't going to respond to you. You know, they're not. That's the tragedy. <laughs> How can we tell the difference, in your opinion? Um, you just feel it, right? You just know. You, you know where you want to be, hopefully. Mm -hmm. So you you decide, right, I want to be there. I want to be at BAM, because BAM makes sense. It's experimental, high profile, incredible spaces, beautiful associations, cutting edge artwork. Some of the people I admire the most doing artwork there. It's like, that's where I want to be. It's time for the moment of truth. Would Stephanie Guzman recommend experiencing bittersweet to a friend or a stranger alike? Of course, I would definitely recommend it to um, my friends and even strangers. When the show was over, describe to me the emotions that you felt when the blindfold was pulled off. Oh man, my first thought, my first reaction. I, I think my first word was, whoa. I just had so many questions. I'm like, what was that? What, where did the music come from? I felt you dancing on me. Oh, it felt so good. You know, what were you feeding now? It was just so many questions. And I think I was just in gratitude. In gratitude where at first I was scared for like an instant. I appreciate that they can make you go through like a roller coaster of emotion without even seeing it. Like it really, ah. Uh, and I'm glad I, I was okay, even in the dark. Is there anything that you would tell a person who's yet to experience bittersweet? It's a great experience and you're going to have fun. I appreciate that their vision or their goal was to also entertain people that are blind. I think that's a great thing. And just that said, I would definitely share this a lot with my friends just to support them. And the experience and the food was, or the pastries were pretty fantastic. <laughs> well, bittersweet has concluded its first series of concerts in New York. But it's certainly not the end for sensory practices, and Stephanie Singer is putting together a weekend-long Open Senses event this coming May 19th through the 21st, 2017, in London. I asked Stephanie about Open Senses and what she's hoping to accomplish with it. A city-wide weekend celebrating sensory practice in London and worldwide, essentially. Like, so we're working with different partners who are contributing and creating sensory events 
across the weekend that all kind of vary from different disciplines. So we've got like Moorfields Eye Hospital doing a kind of feature on Usher syndrome, but we've also got the National Gallery doing scent and uh, paintings exhibition. We've got the Royal Academy of Arts doing a small installation inside the life drawing rooms. We've got little perfume studios involved. Bits Week will do something. It's basically a catalyst to be like, there's so many people doing incredible work. Why don't we just do it on the same weekend? And then people can go, kind of like soak themselves in sensory things and also just stumble upon it, which is almost a better way to find out about stuff like this rather than be like, sensory things are amazing. It's like, ah, if you just stumble upon it, if you just, you know, happen to be in Morfield's Hospital that weekend or happen to be in the Royal London Hospital or um, walking along the street in Brick Lane or whatever it is, you'll find out about it and I kind of like that about it. Maybe because those people, there's the surprise factor where right. they're not expecting to be open but suddenly right. find themselves open. I hope you enjoyed this look at Bittersweet. I attended the performance and was one of a handful of people in the room who got to see the performance without a blindfold on. I sat along the outside viewing this masterpiece as it was happening and I couldn't be happier that I did. I want to play two quick audio clips for you that really bring home the point about how important it is that we connect with each other. These two clips were recorded in the room as Bittersweet was happening. The first clip is audio of the chatter prior to the show starting, and the second clip is audio of chatter just after the show concluded. None of the people knew they were being recorded. I want you to listen to the differences in human energy in both of these two clips. Amazing. Simply amazing. The more we can get out there, the more we can push ourselves past our comfort zones. You can just tell by a room of a hundred people the uptick in the energy that was real. Those people went out of bittersweet and they paid it forward to the people in their lives that they care about. If you've been enjoying these past few episodes of Breaking Walls, I'd love to know. I'm going to have one more episode before this month is through. It's going to be released on New Year's Eve during the day, and I think you're going to like it. We're going to look at how New Year's Eve was handled on the radio during the golden age of radio drama, which took place between the 1930s, essentially, and the early 1960s. As the winter solstice passes, as this weekend is Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, as Hanukkah is going on, I hope that you guys are who that you want to be as we conclude this year, and if you feel like you're not, that's okay, because as soon as that calendar turns to the new year, we've got a new opportunity, a slate, wiped clean. We might say that that's just proverbial, but it's not. Listen to those two audio clips. Energy is a real thing, and the energy of new beginnings, of springtime, it's important. Remember, although we're about to enter what we might say as like the dark days of winter, we're actually gaining time each day that we live in this life. There's more daylight in our lives if we're in the northern hemisphere of the world. So, happy holidays, guys. Merry Christmas. 
Happy Hanukkah. Keep getting out there. Keep breaking those walls. My name is James Scully. This has been Breaking Walls, episode number 48. And until next time, I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you very much.